0: You're listening to the Good Food for Glasgow podcast. For this episode, we're tying in with Challenge Poverty Week and looking at two Glasgow-based projects that are working against food poverty and to improve food provision services. Challenge Poverty Week is all about collective action and uniting together against poverty, so we'll be hearing from members of the Govan Community Project's Food for All group on their work to inform food provision services and policy from a user perspective. We'll also hear from a trustee of Glasgow Southeast Food Bank on what they do and their involvement
1: in the Trussell Trust Guarantee Our Essentials campaign, so I'll let Ruth tell you more. My name's Ruth Wilkinson. I've been involved with Glasgow Southeast Food Bank, which is my local food bank, for something over 10 years. It started out just when I heard about it and thought, well, this is ridiculous that there are people who can't afford food. So I used to put together bags of useful things and take them along to donate. After I'd been doing that for a while, I thought, well, I've got the time. Why don't I volunteer And I started volunteering at the food bank, sorting food, putting food into bags, that kind of thing. And after I'd been doing that for a couple of years, I was asked whether I'd join the Board of Trustees, which I then did. So I'm now on the Board of Trustees, but also still doing one shift a week as a volunteer.
0: And I guess that makes you a very good person to ask about this, in that you've been involved with the food bank for the past 10 years. Have you noticed any changes in the past couple of years of an increase in uptake, an increase in
1: demand? Yes, is the short answer to that. When I started, we were operating out of a tiny little office. I think there was only one paid staff member. Since then, we've grown hugely. We're now in much bigger premises, which is lovely because it means people coming to us can... Sit down and wait indoors rather than having to stand outside in all weathers waiting to be seen. The numbers we see have gone up hugely. Our numbers of staff and of volunteers have gone up. If we were a small business, we'd be delighted. But of course, we're not because we'd much rather not have to expand, not have to increase our opening hours as we did a few years back. So, yeah, we are much, much busier than we've ever been before.
0: And how are you managing that? Are you finding that you're managing to meet the demand and expanding in that? way or are you experiencing some challenges around being able to supply food to everyone that needs it at the moment
1: i think we are managing but it's difficult volunteers are working much harder donations have fallen because people who used to donate are now struggling themselves and can't afford to give us any extra so we're having to dig into our finances to buy supplies a lot of the time So far, touch wood, we are managing, but it's not easy. A sort of long-term change that I've seen in the time I've been working at the food bank, when I I first started volunteering or when I was first donating, our manager, a wonderful woman called Audrey Flanagan, our manager was very clear what we were about and it wasn't about long-term feeding people, it was crisis intervention, And that was the Trustle Trust's thing that you know they would work at. So it would be three days' worth of emergency food. And it would normally be covering some kind of short-term crisis in somebody's life. Either a benefit payment hadn't come through, or maybe some crisis, you know, the boiler had burst, or something like that. Some unexpected expense was enough to push people who were living on the edge, over the edge, into needing the food bank. And we would give people three days' worth of food, and we would also try not to be seeing people too often, That just had to go out the window. The not seeing people too often because people are coming back again and again. And I'm not quite sure which is more heartbreaking in the last year, say, the number of people coming who've never been to a food bank before, who have never been in this situation before and now for the first time in their lives, they're needing this kind of charitable help. Or the increasing numbers of people who are back week after week or month after month And on their referral forms, instead of saying burst boiler, children's school uniform payment didn't come through, so had to spend the money on that and now have no money to buy food. What we get now is low income, time and time again. That's the reason people are coming to food banks now. It's not some crisis that has tipped them into needing an emergency food parcel, it is the fact that their earnings and their benefits, because Plenty of the people who come to see us are in work, but their earnings and their benefits are just not enough to get by. And this is why we're campaigning for the Essentials Guarantee. But it is something in the last 10 years that the change has been quite noticeable. Ultimately, we would like not to have to exist. But in the meantime, we're doing our best to move towards being not just a food bank, but more a kind of advice and help hub. at the moment well we are where we are we're we're giving out food and we're sometimes managing to give out other things as well
0: so for this next section of the podcast i'm joined by fee from govern community project and by a member of their food for all group so first of all would you be able to tell me a little bit about
2: what the govern community project is So as the name suggests, Govan Community Project is based in Govan. I guess it's a charity that seeks to support and empower and also offer advice to people who are navigating the asylum system. So there's different services on offer at Govan Community Project. There is the advice and advocacy lane, which really focuses on supporting people with their casework. And then we also have the communities team where we have a variety of different projects on the go so there's a men's group there's a women's group we have a bike library we do SL classes we also have a homework club And then there's also the Food for All project, which is the one that that I work on with another member.
0: Okay, and maybe we can hear a little more about the Food for All project from the member that we have with us.
3: Thank you very much. I'm a senior member of this group, Food for All project. First of all, I introduce, uh, I live in the Glasgow. I'm a asylum system since uh, 2019. I've been here with family. So I joined this group to share my thoughts and my experience and my problem. And this group is made up for volunteer peer researcher with lived experience of the asylum process as I have a asylum system. So I have a very great experience. How is it issues to face a new asylum seeker? So I share my experience and other group members as well to share the thoughts and ideas. The group uh, uses participatory action research and co-production methodologies and focus on the particular challenges, food insecurity, present, for people seeking asylum. As everybody knows, the living cost is too much high. And especially asylum system, they get a small amount of money and they are trust terrible situation how to buying a good quality of food. So this research group is help out the people to find out the food banks and pantries. And they also government Co- Co- community project provide the food watchers to get easily access to foods in pantry shops without any cost with the family so I'm very happy to be a part of this group as a member so this is an introduction of this group
0: so I know that Glasgow Southeast Food Bank are linked with the Trussell Trust how does that linkage work and how do the Trussell Trust then support you
1: First of all, it's good to be part of the Trussell Trust because that's a recognised name. So if people are wanting to donate to a food bank, it might well be that the first place they'll go is the Trussell Trust. In terms of what we get from the Trussell Trust, we get huge amounts of support from their staff, ideas of how to run the food bank. We get regular updates. We work quite closely with Trussell Trust staff. The main thing at the moment is... The Pathfinder project, which is all about managing the transition from being a food bank to a cash first approach, because it's so much more dignified and empowering for people actually to have enough money in the first place, not to be given food parcels, but to have enough money to go out and buy exactly what food they want from the shop they want to go to. And we work quite a lot with Trustle Trust people and they are wonderful and very helpful.
0: It's interesting what you're saying around the transition to taking more of a Pathfinder approach. What does that look like on the sort of day-to-day basis as that transition kind of happens as it's going from food parcels to suddenly signposting people to other things? Is that something you've started to implement and shift already in your work or just that you're sort of preparing as the Scottish government change what their approach is?
1: We are just starting to. I guess what I'd say is it's not sudden. We're doing it gradually. There's parts of it which are already working and other parts which are still to come for example what we have in our food bank and I know a lot of food banks have this is as well as the bit where we're giving people food parcels we have a separate little bit where we have somebody from either the Castle Milk Law Centre or the Citizens Advice Bureau. And we try to make sure that we ask everybody who comes to us whether they need any advice, any help with sorting out benefits, rents, any problems like that. And then we've actually got the help and the advice on hand. So it's much better than just giving somebody a leaflet and say, oh, there you go, phone this number, go on this website. We've actually got somebody there and we can say, well, if you'd like to talk to somebody, he's right here can imagine that makes
0: it far more likely that people are actually going to engage with those services Mm -hmm. and a bit more accessible for
1: people. We're doing our best to listen to the people who come to the food bank. We're trying not to make it top down, here's what we think you need, there's your bag of food, there you go. We are trying to listen to what people want, what people need, So that's things like making sure that the food we give them is culturally appropriate. We always make sure that we have, for example, bags packed and ready, which meet the criteria for being halal, so that if we have Clients who need that. So, we're not giving them meat they can't eat, but we are giving them, you know, pulses and that kind of thing that they are more likely to want to use. We did a listening exercise a while back with our Roma clients working with a local charity, which is one of our referring agencies. They work with Roma families. And we went to that charity and had a couple of drop-in mornings where people who had used the food bank could tell us what were we doing well what were we not doing so well what changes would they like us to make if we could and some of it was really simple the vast majority of our Roma clients aren't interested in tins of Heinz soup so we stopped putting soup in the bag's automatically that we give out. And now when people come to us, we ask whether they would like soup. That's a very simple thing, but it just helps. And we're not giving away food that isn't going to get used because that's pointless anyway. And the people who come to us are getting food that they actually want. I think what is very helpful is that being in the Trustle Trust links us up with other food banks. All over the country, we work pretty closely with the other Glasgow food banks, but there are also fairly regular workshops where, for example, all the Scottish food banks can get together and sometimes there are nationwide ones. So we can swap ideas, we can talk about problems, we can see what other food banks are doing, get ideas from them give them input of things that we've done. For example, we're in Govanhill. Hill, we're in quite a ethnically diverse area, and one of the big issues for us is that quite a lot of the people coming to us don't have English as a first language. So part of what we have had to do is to work with other local charities, and we now have two translators who are with us whenever we're open, one of whom are oh, an absolutely amazing young woman who speaks something like seven languages. She speaks... Farsi and Arabic and I forget what else and then we have somebody else who speaks Romanian because we have quite a lot of Roma clients being where we are but there are other food banks in Scotland where that's just not an issue at all and they've not thought about it but they have other issues and other problems so it's very interesting sharing information and the Trussell Trust facilitates that and helps us to work out what we need to do.
0: I wonder, for anyone listening that maybe isn't so familiar with the asylum system, why is it that accessing food might be difficult for asylum seekers? You were mentioning there the increasing costs of things and maybe not having so much money, but what is it about that specific process that makes it so challenging and makes the work of Govan Community Project so important and necessary
3: actually you know in asylum system the people live in different areas in glasgow and the distance is so far so it's not easily access to reach the one place to another place because asylum people get the money uh, six pound a day and as you know the bus pass is very expensive 540 a day pass so it's difficult to everyone to go outside and find the food so go and community start this project to Channelize the different, you know, pantries in one page and help out the asylum system, asylum people to get the easily food for his demand and they give the voucher for the families. And this research group is based on to find out the issues, highlight the challenges and then expose in front of the government sites to find out and to resolve this issue. The
2: group has also in the past worked on a resource which anyone can look at online so it's on the dignity in practice website and there the group members put together a resource which was like a series of activities that people can do to reflect and also try to experience some of what it's like to be in the asylum system and trying to access food so there's some images that were made that highlight the kind of everyday oppressions and struggles of what it is actually like to you know arrive at a food bank to have to stand in a queue, to have to interact with staff members there. It's a really great resource that the group has made that people should definitely go and have a look at, because I think it highlights a lot of these access barriers that maybe people don't frequently think about. And again, a lot of those barriers are very specific to people who are also experiencing the asylum system. Maybe it's hard for them to access foods that link them to their home. And it's a very emotional process to try and get access to those foods. And it's hard when there's some basic things missing, like there's no understanding of what halal food is, or what kosher food is, or this basic information that I think food providers should know is sometimes not there. So the group has definitely done a lot of reflecting and they're really the experts in this and there's already resources there
3: for people to look at. I can add one thing, our core value is to respect the dignity and give the equality, collaboration with different organizations, respect and trust and integration. Because without integration, we cannot achieve the goal and all the team members of the govern Community Project that help in the research work, like Fi and other group members, Philippa, is in charge of this group and they help out and they highlight the issues and give confidence to us to share our thoughts, our ideas, to help out the other people. New asylum seekers can educate easily and to understand the issues. So we try our best to resolve these matters through this project.
0: It's really great to hear that you're starting from centering the perspectives of the people that are actually using the services and that this group is formed mainly of people who are, as you say, experts by experience. When I first heard this term, it was in relation to your work and it wasn't a term I had heard before. How would you describe an expert by experience and what is the importance of centering experts by experience in these conversations?
3: Yeah, actually experience because we are in asylum system. Uh, last five year, and we face uh lots of issues lots of problems so through this research group we share our problems our ideas and our thought and our experience and they understand what is the reality in the ground side actually we day-to-day basis visit different areas to find the food through food banks any other pantries. And if we get any issues in the food bank and any any other areas, we highlighted with the group to merge together the issues and then try to resolve. As we said, we work with the workshop and to educate the volunteer people how it is important to respect the asylum seekers. They are already under stress, under depression. So if you help out the people because some people do not understand English. So they have English barrier issues. So we try to this problem to educate the volunteers, those who have worked in the food bank and the pantry shops to understand the asylum seeker, what they required, what they demand. Uh, some people need a uh, halal food. Some people need a uh, cultural food. So uh, most of the food available is thin food and packed food. And some people required a fresh vegetable force and the culture force. So they demand how they create this demand. So the volunteer is educate about the new society. People come in this society and availability of this product to make the food what they required. So we share our experience like I'm from Asian country. So I share what we use daily basis and other people like African people share what they used on daily basis and and also the Arab countries different product uses so we share our culture food and then they volunteer and those who work in the food bank they understand what kind of food they require so some people are very happy after the demand they arrange the food and they get easily and they make his own food so this is my thoughts I share it the expert is very important and our wise is very important. So through this project, I am very happy. Some pantry shops and food banks understand the culture of food, what kind of culture of food the SNMC can require. That's my answer for your questions.
0: I guess just listening to you is really nice to hear about how I suppose sometimes the people making decisions or shaping these processes aren't the people who have that experience of using the system. And so it's really great to hear about all the work you've done and breaking down this idea of who is an expert and who gets to have a say in how these systems are shaped or what is expertise. So it's really nice to hear about how that been deconstructed in all the work you're doing and yeah really valuing the knowledge that the group holds <laughs> To talk a bit more about your involvement with the Trussell Trust, in thinking about Challenge Poverty Week and that collective stand, it ties in really well to the Guarantee Our Essentials campaign that the Trussell Trust have been running and that I think you're quite involved with in Glasgow. So if you could yeah. maybe just explain a bit about what the Guarantee Our Essentials campaign is. Well, this
1: is a campaign that was launched very recently by the Trussell Trust in partnership with the Joseph Roundtree Foundation. They did the research and they reckon that... Once you've accounted for housing costs and council tax, the average person needs something like £120 a week for food, fuel, clothing, toiletries, that sort of thing. What they actually get on universal credit is £85 a week. So that is a shortfall of £35 every single week just to afford the basics. And one of the other things that they found in their research is that if you go out and ask people, should universal credit cover the basics of food, fuel, toiletries, clothing, then... A majority of people say, well, yes, of course it should. It's something like three quarters of people think that universal credit should be enough to cover the basics. So the campaign, it's about raising awareness of the fact that universal credit falls short by £35 a week. But it's also about making politicians aware and trying to get the idea of an essentials guarantee into every single political manifesto in the general election, whenever that may be. And there are three aspects to this guarantee one is that it needs independent assessment of how much somebody needs per week the next thing is that universal credit must be set at that level at that minimum level and the other thing is that there must never be deductions to universal credit which take it below that minimum level because at the moment either because of the benefit cap or because of repaying debts to government, like the fact that if you get universal credit, you have to wait six weeks for your first payment. So you can then borrow some of it before it actually comes through. But at the moment, there are people who are getting way below even what's set at the universal credit rate because they're repaying debts or because of the benefit cap, And that's not right because you know, a safety net is not a safety net if it's got dirty great holes in it that people can fall through. And at the moment, that's how things are. A very simple example in Scotland of how... Getting the political will to make these changes really works. And that difference is the Scottish Child Payment £25 per week for every child up to the age of 16. There is no benefit cap. So it doesn't matter how many children you have, you get Scottish Child Payment for all of them. We've still to get the exact figures and crunch the numbers in our food bank. But anecdotally, what we are seeing is that since the Scottish Child Payment came in, we are seeing far fewer families. And the vast majority of the families that we now see are maybe asylum seekers or people with no recourse to public funds. So it's the people who can't get the Scottish child payment who are still having to come to the food bank. And as I say, we've not got exact figures yet, but that is basically what we're seeing. So it's very, very simple. Give people money and they don't need to use food banks. Raise people's income to a decent level and they don't need to come to food banks. So I'd really love to be put out of business. It's not rocket science. It would be lovely if anybody listening who feels so moved could sign the petition for the Essentials Guarantee. It's got over 6,000 signatures so far, and you can find it online at www.trustletrust.org under the Get Involved With Campaigns.
0: I will link the link to the petition in the description of the podcast. So for those listening, just go to the description, click the link, sign the petition if you are moved by what Ruth is saying. You're saying the public support for the campaign and what you're asking for is really high Mm -hmm. and people do agree that benefits should be able to cover the expenses that people necessarily will have. Are you feeling optimistic this is going to get in? What's
1: the sort of traction like that you've had? A few weeks ago, we went leafleting in Queen's Park in Glasgow. I've done quite a lot of leafleting in my time for various other things and political parties. This was the first time I've actually had people, first of all, nobody turned down a leaflet once I would talked to them. There were people who walked straight past, but nobody sort of heard what I had to say and then said, oh, no, I'm not interested. Quite a few people, once I managed to get the words universal credit out, even if they thought they were going to walk past, they would stop and come back and talk about what it was. So the level of engagement was really high and really positive. I've I've never known anything like it when I've been out leafleting for other things. But the other thing is that you know everybody agrees when you say we're trying to guarantee that universal credit should be enough. People said yeah, of course it should, and they shared their own stories. And I think what does make me optimistic is that the cost of living crisis, as well as the pandemic, are things that we've all lived through. They have affected absolutely everybody you know there's nobody in this country who didn't see a massive hike in their fuel bills last winter and i think we are very much aware that we're expecting this winter to be hard as well because the cost of living has gone up so much the cost of basic foodstuffs has gone up so much and heating your home is still very expensive so yeah i'm positive in as much as i think people are sympathetic because it's something we've all gone through to some degree Where I'm not positive is in the fact that precisely because we're all going through it, there are plenty of people who would love to help but just aren't in a position to do it
0: because this is a shared experience of a lot of people and that everyone has been impacted whether or not it hits them so hard, if they're a bit better off or whatever it is. But maybe that creates an environment for more collective action and more standing up and campaigning and people being able to come together and challenge something. But I think especially in our current climate, it is really hard for people to find the time to do that.
1: It is hard for people to find the time, but then it doesn't have to be a massive commitment. You can help even if All you do is going around the supermarket, put in one extra tin of soup or one extra packet of lentils. So many supermarkets now have collection baskets for the food banks. So even something as small as that helps. All the stuff that comes into us, you know, every last baked bean goes to a good home. Maybe this is the time for me to say that, you know, what we like is donations, obviously, of non-perishable stuff, long life stuff. The things that people often ask us for that we then run out of are cooking oil, coffee, and toiletries. Anything you can give, you know, and even if it is just one thing, that's worth doing. The other thing that is possible, again, if people are able to, is to think about financial donations, because we do have running costs. And one of the things we are still doing at the moment is buying just a small amount of fresh food to go with all the tins and packets so people who come to our food bank usually get sort of potatoes onions maybe carrots apples oranges and then a range of other things depending on what we're given but we do buy a certain amount of fresh stuff we also buy eggs because people really appreciate having fresh eggs
0: I guess looking forward and maybe thinking about either in the Food for All project or governed community project as a whole, what is your, your hope for the future and how maybe this collective voice can be used to shape things or to change our food system?
2: In terms of what the group is doing next, right now the group is putting together some educational resources and also a workshop series that we are then going to deliver to people who run banks or pantries so in our immediate future like in january the group is going to be reaching out to current services that are out there and we're going to be offering people a chance to reflect on how they're delivering their services and bringing that expertise that the group holds to the people who are actually going to need it in their daily interactions or their kind of daily way of running pantries so that's an immediate thing that we're doing i guess in terms of like the legacy of the project because the project has been funded by the Scottish government but it is in its final year it's been like a three-year project I guess I would hope that they would recognize the way that the asylum system very much interacts with food poverty and access to food because I think some of the current ways that the government are thinking that they want to go in terms of trying to prevent the need for food banks like a lot of the support that they're offering instead is cash-based support or you know an increase in public funds and whatnot, but the reality for people in the asylum system is that a lot of them don't have access to public funds. A lot of them don't have access to digital devices. It sounds as if some of the current strategies for trying to reduce the need for food banks would still isolate and discriminate against people who are in the asylum system. So I think that's the biggest thing that I would hope the project would draw attention to is that it's not possible for everyone to kind of make this shift to receiving cash-based support. because already there's lots of restrictions on people accessing that that are already going through the asylum system so yeah I guess our project is quite a delicate balance of we're trying to improve the way that food banks are working but also we should live in a world where food banks don't exist so I guess we're trying to get that balance of recognising that they're not functioning properly now and seeing the importance of all of our group members really taking the lead on like striving for that change and how they're currently accessing food but yeah I guess definitely some other longer term visions hopefully will come into play in the next few years as well
3: i think we perfectly explained about the collective voice means because voice is very important to understand everyone and actual lived experience people can share the thoughts and ideas so they perfectly affect on the end user like end users who's using the product and also the effect on the government sector because through this organization we share our thoughts and our experience and then highlight in the media side of what is actual ground reality, these problems occurring through this system. So most of the MSPs and MPs visit different food bank and pantries, but they don't know day-to-day basis what is the issues. But through this organization, we highlight the problems. And then this problem going forward to the government side to understand what is the actual issues and how to resolve this problem. And through these workshops and the project research, we find the problem and we find the solution. What is the solution? Through this project, we find so many outcomes. And we educate the people. So I think our collective voice work very perfectly to resolve these issues uh, on a daily basis.
0: I'll definitely include links to everything that you do in the description of the podcast so people can find the different resources that you were mentioning. But yeah, just if there's anything else from either of you that you'd like to emphasize before we finish.
3: I think in our group, there is no discrimination. All are equal. We cannot see who is African, who is Asian. We all are equal. And we respect everyone. We have different culture, people to share our thoughts, ideas. So respect and dignity is very important. So our main focus area is respect everyone. Give authorities to share ideas and respect and integration. This is the main key, our aim mission of this project. Thanks to
0: my guests for taking the time to tell me about their work. I really encourage you to check out the links in the description of the podcast and learn more about what they do and support them if you can. Thanks for listening.
1: Thank you. Thank you very much for inviting me.